You need to forget about all the normal rules that apply to both college and society. of Pop You with Josh and Drew. I am your co-host, Andrew. And today is going to be a little bit of a detour. We have a, a guest co-host in the co-host chair, none other than my brother, Nick. Nick, how are you? Hello. How are you doing, man? Doing well. So this is going to be weird because... Um, Josh is a uh, Josh is off this week, so we don't have Josh. We've had occasional guests, but we've never actually had a crossfire with just the two bros here. How long are we gonna go before we get into a straight up argument? You think? You got a over under? Uh, I wish I could continue my accent, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think uh, the accent was working. This thing will devolve fairly quickly. <laughs> I would. That's my prediction. I can't believe we've been doing this show for two years now, and for whatever reason, we've never talked about Star Wars, which has to be one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my favorite pop culture entities of all time. When you take in the toys and the movies and the cartoons and just everything with it, um, but now's as good a time as any because I think if there were another expert out there that could go toe to toe, it would be you. Man, that's that's. Hang on, <laughs> I'm setting you up to fail. You're at. You're really asking the wrong brother. I mean, I. You realize that. I, mean, I can't wait to be a fly on the wall for the phone call that you're going to get from Matt because. Yeah, it's. This really would have been a Matt topic, but. Um, yeah, I tell you what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. If this goes well, we'll get Matt on the next one. Yeah, I'll for sure. You're right. Sure. I think. Because we definitely need to get with Matt. Well, and, and let me just say this. Let me just say this. For, uh, in all seriousness, I mean, I am probably, in, in terms of like our peer group, you, Matt, sort of our immediate friend base, I'm probably on the lower level of Star Wars knowledge um, and probably just overall fandom. So, but that being said, that was what actually made this kind of fun because it it revitalized my interest in Star Wars because I've always been a big fan of it and um, and so it, it kind of you know I actually sat down and rewatched the original trilogy yesterday and watched all three and and this project gave me an opportunity to look at Star Wars the, the original trilogy you know we should preface that but this project gave me the ability to kind of look at it in a totally different way. It kind of rekindled some of my original memories of, of this trilogy, you know, seeing it as a, you know, little boy, these characters had such a big impact. Overall, it was, I feel like a very fun experience, just kind of preparing for this. How long had it been since you had seen any of the original trilogy? To actually sit down and watch them back to back to back and actually pay attention to the characters I haven't done that in decades. I might turn it on once every year or so. Even then it's kind of background noise, but this was actually sitting down and kind of watching kind of more like I would have 
initially. What's your earliest memory of Star Wars? Do you remember a time before? I guess you don't remember a time before Star Wars. Probably Return of the Jedi would have definitely been. You would have been five. The first. Yeah, I would have been five. And I definitely remember going to the theater and watching that movie. I remember watching it on the big screen. And I still can, I can still visually recall that memory and seeing indoor, which that really was like magical to me that, that, the indoor, um, environment that, that in the Ewoks, obviously, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that would be my first conscious memory. I have a feeling we're going to get into the Ewoks. Yeah. We're going to get into the Ewoks a little bit. I have two vivid memories that are obviously around the same time. So when they, when Return of the Jedi came out, what George Lucas did is he re-released the first two movies in the theater right before. So I remember seeing, I don't know, I don't remember seeing Star Wars. And for this podcast, we're gonna call the first one Star Wars. We're not gonna call it A New Hope. But I remember seeing Star Wars I don't remember seeing Star Wars in the theater, but I remember seeing Empire in the theater, and I would have been too young to remember it when it came out in 1980. I think I must have seen it when it was re-released before Return of the Jedi, so I would have been seven. That makes more sense. So I have a vivid memory of Empire. Of course, I remember seeing Return of the Jedi, but one of my earliest memories of Star Wars in general was me and you playing out the Empire Strikes Back battle at the end with Luke and Vader we would have the record. Do you remember the, we had the 45. It was a 45. Oh yeah, record. I totally remember that. And that was our way of reliving the movie was through the record. And we would uh, listen to the record and then reenact the movie and fight with Vader and Luke. And I think it was narrated by C-3PO, which is really funny. But um, yeah, so that was kind of how, that was the earliest memory I have of it and the toys. Cause man, we had a ton of those toys. Yeah, we, we had a lot of the toys. I know we probably, there were certain things that we didn't have that I always wanted, like an Imperial Walker. Um, but we had the Darth Vader character, like the uh, figurine case. And I remember, you know, organizing those those figurines in different ways. You know, I might, I might kind of line up all the good guy, all the rebel, uh, characters on one row and then start kind of going down and putting all the um, the Imperial yeah and so I had a lot of fun with that case and you know and of course every year it seemed like the case would have more and more spots open because we would lose we would lose them you know we would lose the accessories would never last long so like Han Solo's gone right. I mean it would be gone within a day lightsabers gone we got a lot of use out of those toys. I will say that um, they were expensive at the time, but man, I think we got our entertainment's worth out of them. But anyway, all right, well, so what we thought would be fun is to really get into the weeds with some of Star Wars uh, about some of the more minor characters because everyone's talked the major characters to death. And of course, I'm referring to Luke, Han, Princess Leia. Do you say Leia or Leia? Are you a Leia or a Leia? I'm definitely Leia. Me too. Are you Han or Han? I'm Han. Um, so Luke, Han, Leia, Vader, Chewbacca, R2-D2, and C-3PO. Those are the ones 
There have been other characters, I guess, that have appeared in all three movies, but I would say that those are the majors. Those are the ones that usually pop up first in the credits. Those are the ones that are really, the stories are really built around. And um, I consider, I mean, do you con- would you throw anybody else in there as a major character? I would throw Obi-Wan in there. You know, and I think we kind of set the, the parameters for this, or as we talked about setting the parameters for this, we excluded Obi-Wan because we felt like he was a major character. I agree. Obi-Wan, we did have Obi-Wan on that list. So we'll, we'll, we'll add him. So that's eight. You have to draw the line somewhere. Here's how we're going to set this up. So we've gone over the major characters. Um, what we'll do is, what we're going to do is we're going to rank our top five non-major or minor characters, if you will. And we're going to go through each of our lists and discuss who's right and who's wrong. We'll do it that way. Uh, the framework for this is our top five favorites. So I guess, of course, there's no, you can't be wrong about your favorites because it's your favorite. So it's not the top five best. It's not the top five most important. It's not the top five coolest. It's the top five favorites. So we'll go through our top five first, and then we'll eliminate the the there will be some duplicates along the way so we'll eliminate those as we go um and then we'll go through our bottom five so let's just jump right into it uh nick uh we'll, we'll start with you since you're the guest um who are your top five non-major characters from the star wars original trilogy we're speaking about the original trilogy that's episodes four five and six and I, I should also add, we're talking about these with the context of the non-special edition versions of the films. So if we ever reference those versions, we will definitely make that known. But when we speak about it generally, it will be the original. Has there ever been a movie franchise with more controversy due to the, uh, you know, specifically dealing with how, how Lucas went back and changed things? but. Just all, but then also taking that out of the, I mean, there, so it's two things, I think. You have Lucas kind of going back into his time machine and, and fixing things the way he wanted them to to look. But then also all the derivative um, storylines, whatever you want to call that, just him going back and, and changing things up. I guess his he's always kind of stated that it was a lack of technology available. And now that the technology is available he wanted to go back and and i have some real bones to pick with that well sure sure even if you take that out of the equation when you start thinking about all the different storylines and canons and all this i mean it's so singular in the sense that there are all these alternative worlds with star wars and i i'm just curious on your thoughts on that when disney went and bought the the franchise from Lucas. What they did is they eliminated all the novels, comic books, all the peripheral forms of media out of canon. So there was no more confusion about what was canon and what wasn't. The canon was going to always be just six films because it was episodes one, two, three, four, five, six, and then I guess they also counted the Clone Wars movie. So I think that was a good decision just to make it simpler. Um, but I agree with you. Like there's so it's now still gone off into all these different, you know, spider webs of different, you know, what's canon, what's expanded universe. Right. Um, but to your original question about Lucas, no, I don't think any other franchise has come close to stirring up the kind of controversy that he did by going back and 
retouching up the films. And the reason why I think the controversy is there mostly is because like Spielberg did a uh, special edition of E.T. where he added some new scenes, he redid some of the special effects, and he made Is it that pretty, right? I, yeah. I was not aware of that. It came out like huh. 15 years ago. Um, the biggest controversy from that is that he changed the guns at the end to walkie-talkies. Wow. Here's where Spielberg is different than Lucas. Spielberg still restored the original film in its entirety so you could watch them back to back or you could watch them side by side and compare. Yeah, Lucas Lucas basically pretends that the originals don't exist. Exactly. And I think that's why there's so much controversy because if you still had if he had if he had kept the original ones that you could still buy or, you know, um, view or stream or whatever, I don't think there'd be as much controversy because you could still watch whichever one you were most comfortable with. Um, you could still compare them and it was it, I think it makes the debate more interesting when you can have them side by side now you can technically still get the non-special editions but he didn't go back to the original negative he didn't um, use the same sort of precision he didn't restore it the same way he did the special edition so like they're almost unwatchable there's a lot of blurs in them the audio is not really good the letterboxing is sometimes still cropped out in a weird way so it's not a it's not a fair representation of of what he could have done um i don't know if disney is going to go back and do that seems like if they were going to they would have made an announcement by now but i mean i think that's why you have so much controversy which i think if you ask any director who's ever released a movie it's never 100 percent what they're you always have to make compromises that's just the nature of film studio and making a film but and i think as fans we take that into account right nobody looks at jaws and says oh you know that shark is just too fake it's just not a, you know it's just not a good movie no i mean we we take that into account right. and if spielberg went back and changed jaws to be a cgi i would be way more upset i'd be i'm not upset at all the way i know that the shark is fake looking it is mm -hmm. completely you know it's it's pretty spare but if he went back and changed it to CGI, oh, I would be so upset, I, just as a fan of that movie. Well, Jaws is a good example. That was a major compromise he had to make because the shark didn't work half the time. And if you've ever seen any Jaws documentary, he, you know, there's always the scene of Richard Dreyfuss complaining, you know, imitating the shark not working voiceover or whatever. But so St Spielberg made a compromise. He's like, okay, we can't show the shark every time I want to. So we'll have to have the fin and we'll have to have the John Williams score to sort of represent the shark, which of course, as we all know, makes it so much more terrifying and makes it so much better. So like, that's a good example of, of you make compromises on films. So like, I want to, so I know the most, probably the most controversial example of the special editions is the Han and Greedo scene, which, Lucas has gone back and when he made that change, he said the reason why is because he didn't want Han to be such a violent character who initiated the, yeah. Which is an insult to fans because anybody who's watched that scene closely, Greedo's pointing a gun at him. It's not a matter of him just shooting him in cold blood. He was shooting him because he was threatened with his life and he knew that he had to. The, the very premise of his argument about, you know, wanting to sort of soften Han Solo, I, I don't buy. And, but, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do you agree with me? Like I 100% agree with you. And I think, um, where do you stop? Because... 
There's an ego thing with Lucas, obviously, and I think he's also pretty stubborn. He prided himself on not being the conventional Hollywood director type. And I'll give him credit, he was a kind of forward visionary type director. He was not worried about what was successful in the past. He was worried about, well, what could be successful in the future, which is part of what made Star Wars so amazing is that it had never really been done. But there's also a, a flip side of that coin, and I think a big part of that downside is that he sort of, I don't want to say he cannibalized the film, but he just got overly tweaky with it. And where do you stop? And, and it's a fictional movie. You guys are complaining about a movie that's it's fictional. I really think that if the original versions had been restored in the same delicate way that he did the, the special editions, I don't think we'd be having the same kind of a conversation because I could just put in a DVD of the original one right. just as easily as the new one and watch it. And it's almost like it's it almost shows a weakness or an insecurity on his part that he hasn't done that. That's because exactly it's right. almost like and so it's almost like out of defiance, which is why I guess I'm hoping that Disney will do something about it. I mean, there's always petitions rolling around asking for him. Um, I don't ever get involved in all that but like I do, I do wonder what the status is well and, and there it goes into that whole thing about does the actual original film does it still exist he says it doesn't but it's not like he destroyed it well or is it like he took the original negative and literally you know overwrote sort of like you would like a that is that is insane like that's not how it works you transfer the negative to another new negative and then you make the changes to the new negative. Maybe he, maybe he forgot to do that, <laughs> and just you know, it's like uh, you know, you you overwrite uh, an Excel document, and yeah. you know, and you're like, oh crap, you know, maybe. I mean, I used to do that when I was like ten or eleven years old. I accidentally record over songs that I had done. Exactly. I mean, that's. I guess that's. I guess it's possible. I mean, hopefully one day we get them. Um, so anyways, that was a... That was a big deviation, but... It's a conversation I love having, and it needed needed to be had. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, when you look at Jabba in the New Hope, in the, in the new, in the, um, you know, the new version of New Hope, he is, he doesn't look anything like the original. Like, his eyes are so big, and he's got these, his hands are very, like, you know, very defined fingers, and, like, it's just odd, but... Anyway, um, again, that scene doesn't make any sense to have in the in the new to to restore. Like his excuse, they originally shot that scene with Harrison Ford, and this, they didn't have the special effects abilities to make Jabba look like what he wanted. So what they did was they went and added the Greedo scene later, so that you have all the information that you get from that Jabba scene. You have that with the Greedo scene where G Greedo gets shot. So when he restores the Jabba scene. Like, everything that Jabba says is in the Greedo scene five minutes before that. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, oh, they yeah. talk about no him way. dropping his shipment. They talk about how he's got a price on his head. They talk about all this stuff. The, the, Greedo, the Greedo and he just had that exact same conversation. The dialogue is actually almost word for word verbatim what it was in the Greedo scene. So, anyway, uh, I could go on all day about that. It's a redundant scene almost in... I think it, again, kind of uh, reiterates what we said earlier is that he just, he wanted, he likes to, he likes to tinker, tinker too much. Yeah. So, um, all right. Starting with my top five, I would like to uh, designate number five as, as Wicked. Are these in some type of order? These are in the order of, so five would be 
fifth best, for one being my favorite. Okay. And then same with uh, the bottom five. So bottom five, so the one would be the absolute worst uh, character. On the bottom five? Of the, on the bottom okay. five, yeah. <laughs> That's um, a fun way. Let, yeah, I like that. I looked at these these two lists through the lens of, of seven-year-old Nick. And, um, and so my top five characters are all kind of based on this magical experience yours is based on more of like an almost like a nostalgic very much so and and whereas like the bottom five i feel like i had a nitpick a little bit with my bottom five because the characters are amazing and to come up with five bottom you know to to come up with five the bottom five the reality is is that they're all pretty awesome i agree with you yeah so i i don't want to but i did have some issues with some of the bottom five so so going back to the, the top five, and, and number five would be Wicket. When he first came on screen after Leia crashed her her speeder, I don't think I'd ever really experienced or, or seen that type of character, you know, on screen. And I'm trying to think back, predating this movie, from a cute factor, who would you have in that in that list? Uh, I guess you could put, um, when did Gremlins come out? 84, 84. so the year after so this So right movie. after. I wanted that. I wanted one of those wickets, you know. It also kind of, you have to kind of look at the whole Ewok village as a kid, seeing how they lived in these trees and, you know, kind of had this Swiss Family Robinson type feel to it. Oh my God. Didn't you want to live there so bad? Oh my God. And then, of course, we were fortunate in that we had this creek behind our house growing up. And so we were able to kind of, you know, get get lost in, in... that area where there was a lot of overgrown bushes and trees and things like that. And so there's there's no doubt I, I was reenacting those scenes probably by myself a lot. But when I watch that movie, I still love that scene where we first see him. It just kind of brings back some good memories. Yeah, so that the creek you're referring to was a double for Dagobah and for Endor. We yes. used that was our that was Yoda's that would we, when we would kick in our imagination we would uh, envision that we were on Yoda's planet as well as on the Ewok planet. Did, who put that idea in our head? Was did did Dad say you know Yoda lives back there, or did we say or did we ask him if Yoda lived back there? Either way, that's a really good question. I don't know. I could see Dad sort of saying that. I think he did. I think he planted the seed, and then yeah. For the next 10 years, every time I, I would go back there, I would think about, is Yoda back here somewhere? Yeah, I see. I think you were young enough to where if somebody said that to you, you would actually partially believe it. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, um, I of course, was old enough to know that, like, you know, Yoda doesn't really live back there, but I would wish that he did. So it was kind of like going back there and just like, man, how great would it be to just run into Yoda like how awesome and then like I've become a Jedi like that's <laughs> everybody has those kinds of things you know like you sort of really do believe you really want to believe it so bad you know what I mean oh yeah I mean it it definitely tapped into our imaginations and um Ewoks are interesting because there's a lot of Ewok backlash now I think now that we're all grown up we all sort of it's almost like a revisionist history kind of thing where we all look back at the Ewoks and say, oh God, you know, George Lucas totally sold out and it was a merchandising thing and Correct. he wanted to sell toys and all that kind of stuff. I 
I never got that cynical about it. Maybe because we were just so young. Maybe if we'd been 10 years older, we would have thought about the Ewoks a little differently. But I loved them too. I mean, I always thought they were great. I never really had... I mean, sometimes I could sort of see myself falling into the, yeah, you know, he just wanted to sell a bunch of toys, Saturday morning cartoon with Ewoks kind of stuff. And it doesn't really fit. But I, I think it totally fits with the arc of the story and I think it they're good characters you know oh absolutely and, and I you know I'm looking at it through the lens of, of the five to six year old Nick and right and where I you know I wasn't cynical back then I'm cynical now um mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the Ewoks do try to eat them you know it's not oh no like and, and, were... and let's not let's not kid ourselves some of the Ewoks look like they were pretty demonic I mean yeah they, yeah, I mean, they were scary. Some of them were scary, but... I, they were about to roast Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, that's not super kitty-friendly. I mean, there's no. a little bit of darkness there. No, it was very primordial, and, and uh, <laughs> you could kind of take it and spin it the other way for sure. But I think that we are probably too hard on Lucas from that standpoint. And even even looking at sort of the 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 episodes one two and three and we're probably too hard and that a lot of that is just age you know so i think if we if we kind of try to isolate the fact that we are older and we, we probably know better it you know it i don't have a huge problem with that i know that it is i know it's a sore spot for a lot of a lot of the fans nerds but yeah a lot of the nerds <laughs> yeah so number four is job of the hut yeah I'm a big fan of the Jabba the Hutt character. What is it you like about him? And just just for everybody knows, Jabba the Hutt was in Return of the Jedi. Correct. He's mentioned in Star Wars and he's mentioned in Empire Strikes Back, but his he's only seen in Return of the Jedi. I, I loved the kind of the larger bad guy sort of crime boss. He had the lair with the band and the great lair, great and lair. the smoke kind of um, emanating. Uh, and he had this really scary monster pet thing that that kind of basically lived below him, and um, you know it just. It, I remember thinking um, he didn't scare me. Um, there was something that was not scary about it, but interesting. But it also, yeah. But it also it added. There was there are multiple heroes. You need multiple villains. I mean, that's what that made this this the Star Wars world so amazing. Is you had all these different characters and in, in just having Darth Vader to uh, to root against. You know, probably wouldn't have done. Probably wouldn't have been as effective as having some of the other um, villains. And but he didn't feel overtly villainy you know he was he was more um just again a, a sort of a minor character that um that just added a little a little color to the to the world and there's just no doubt that um it helped i think it really helped return of the jedi uh, the thing that's interesting is that you said he wasn't scary a lot of people around your age were scared of Jabba the Hutt, Darth Vader. Well, and, and one other thing, 
one other thing about about um, Jabba is, um, and you, you kind of touched on this, was that he was kind of he was really limited in how he could move. And mm-hmm. How can you discount the the cultural impact he made? Is it Spaceballs where you have Pizza the Hut? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. So I mean, all that ties into it. I mean, I just I, I kind of all that rolls into it. Uh, yeah. Number three. Number three. Um, the Emperor. Mm-hmm. So the Emperor scared me to death. Okay. Um, but he's also fascinating to me, and as you, you know, when you just look at, you know, the when you compartmentalize his character in the original trilogy, we didn't know we didn't know anything about this guy. We didn't know he was a senator. We didn't. I mean, all that was added, and so there was this great mystery about him. Who? Where did he come from? How did he become the emperor? You know, and all these things. But one thing I did know was that he just he's his presence scared me to death, and and it was hard to turn away and not look at him because he was just he had such a commanding on-screen persona, and um, and he was a lot easier to root against than say Jabba the Hutt. At the very end of the movie, uh, Return of the Jedi, when I, I still get chills watching the scene where Darth Vader picks him up and throws him down the the well um i i might have a problem with some of his abilities i should be able to shoot lightning from his fingertips you know that seemed a little arbitrary just to have that that ability where there's actually a term there's actually a term for that it's called force creep it's um it's a thing that um nerds refer to as how like when they talk about how the force sort of changes from movie to movie, it, like in the first movies in Star Wars, the force is sort of this thing that kind of helps you focus and tune out distraction and concentrate. And I mean, there's there's definitely something mystical about it, but you that's all you really sort of think of it as. You do see Vader choke somebody with his mind, which is definitely a, a, a very supernatural power but and then in Empire you see Luke start to levitate things Yoda levitate things Luke you know uses mind to bring his you know to grab his lightsaber out of the snow right so then it sort of builds and then you see Vader use certain elements of the force at the end when he's um, he, and, he and Luke are having their confrontation their battle and then in Return of the Jedi you see it even more so, like what you're saying, like lightning coming out. Of, so, like it's sort of this thing where it's one of my issues with the force, actually. Um, so I kind of I agree with what you're saying. It's like I don't like that it sort of. It's almost like it's whatever we need the story to do next. We'll just right. say that the force made it happen. You know. I I think it was unnecessary. I think that, um, and again, we're nitpicking here, we're but nitpicking. it's like. You know, and I always wonder if they just had so many irons in the fire when making this movie that they had to sort of just say, you know, we're just going to roll with that. You know, we're going to roll with, we're going to, we're going to take some shortcuts. I mean, just because there are certain parts of, of the original trilogy. And of course there are, it gets worse. I think as you go through the original night or the, the sort of the, um, 
the official canon, but um, in the original trilogy, there are he took some pretty big leaps with uh, and, and kind of asked the audience to to be okay with it, and um, and you know for the most part we I, I was, but um, but what really captured my imagination with the emperor was just just how powerful he was and and when he first you know I, I can't remember if this is the first time that we uh saw him regardless when he when his imperial ship lands on the on the new death star and he's got the guard you know the the red guard there and i, I was just it felt i was just kind of like whoa you know look how look how um slick you know his his guard is and um it's a great look and the music and i mean john williams to me this is you know this to me was john williams um at his best probably one of my favorite part uh, themes um yeah. I, i'll leave my hot sports opinions about john williams for another time but I really liked what he did with, with the Star Wars franchise. I won't get into a whole lot of John Williams either just because, yeah, we could talk about him all day. But, oh, my um, gosh. He really ups the ante throughout the trilogy. It's like whenever Lucas needed a new motif or whatever for a character, he always delivered. I mean, the, uh, you know. Even Jabba, Jabba had his own theme. Jabba had his own theme. Um, of course, Vader got his theme at Empire Strikes Back he didn't have it really in the first one there was kind of a different theme but they i mean probably the i don't know would you say the imperial march is the most recognizable theme of this whole star wars or would you say the opening like what's the I, most like i think the opening is by far the most recognizable but i don't think it's the best i think the imperial there are probably two or three variations of that imperial theme that are to me, the best parts. The one, the, the the return of the Jedi, like the first 10 minutes of the film where Vader's coming to the Death Star and it kind of, it does, it'll kind of, it'll start up the theme and then it'll kind of back out of it and then it comes back and then they back out of it and then it just goes full on, you know, after about four or five minutes, it's just great. So great. So the next two are personally very controversial. I could have probably flip-flopped these, but I'm going to go with number two as Yoda. Okay. It's hard to not put him as the best character of any on any level. I mean, you could argue he's a main character. You could argue that he's an ancillary character. That was a tough he's, decision to put him as it's a... It's a tough decision, but golly. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than Yoda to me. Um he uh, uh you know the all the moments of in empire strikes back when he's um rifling through luke's little ice chest and he gets the fish stick and um uh, you know then they go back to his little hut and he's got the the stew and i always wanted to try that stew by the way uh, I don't know, um, but, but judging by luke's reaction i don't think it was very good <laughs> you know luke luke seemed high maintenance can we agree that he was a little high maintenance? Probably wouldn't have liked anything. Probably wouldn't have liked even. Right. A, it, could, it could have been a ribeye, and Luke would have made a face. I feel like. I, I think so. I, you know. Yeah. Um, but Yoda, of course, 
And like the emperor, let me just say this, like the emperor, we didn't really know where he came from. Mm -hmm. And, um, but we just, we got the sense that, okay, this guy is, is sort of the, you know, he's the, he is the master Jedi. And, um, so if you kind of look at Luke and then Obi-Wan, well, Yoda would be at the, would have been at the very top. Um, and of course he's voiced by the great Frank Oz, right? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean. The fact that he, we all just sort of totally bought into Yoda immediately, I think speaks to not just the greatness of Frank Oz, but in Lucas, but just in Kirshner, Irvin Kirshner, who directed it. But I mean, just the fact that that's sort of why this franchise is just, I love it so much. It's because I didn't need to be sold on Yoda as a character. I was, I didn't, I never for once thought he wasn't anything but a real real character but right. like a real alien or whatever um yeah he was a muppet but like i never got the muppet vibe from him at all like it just i guess that's just sort of how it works when you have just a collective group of geniuses working on it i mean because then of course john williams has a great yoda theme so here's my issue with the man i hate to keep going back to the, the prequels and stuff but i think the greatest triumph of Lucas is that he was able to introduce characters like Yoda, like the Emperor, like other characters probably on your list, Jabba, and without any explanation, no need for exposition to explain how they got there, why they're there, all that kind of stuff. It just, you, you pick up right with them as a character, you buy into it, you believe it, and undoes all of that with the prequels by explaining the backstory of everybody. Mm -hmm. Like, he takes probably his greatest achievement with the trilogy and undoes it completely with the prequels. And Because the prequels, you know, you could argue whether or not they're really bad movies and whether there's a, a, a true narrative there. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But you can't deny the fact that he takes some of the magic out of the later films by telling you everything about them. It's like he didn't know how to... He didn't know. He, he he went over overboard with with that. I think that some context was great, and but he went overboard. You know, it's like he gave us a taste with a little bit of here and there in the prequels, but then it it just he kept. You know, and of course he can't really be blamed for the for the the last three, but. You know, sometimes less is more, as we say, and, and I just think that he had a hard time. What's the line in uh, Amadeus? Um, how does one say air director? And he says, too many notes. Uh, too many notes. So Lucas would ask us, well, which notes? That, too many notes. And so <laughs> if we told Lucas too many notes, he's going to ask us, well, which ones, you know, which ones you want me to pull out? But Man, ask me, because I'll tell you. <laughs> but, <laughs> I will tell you exactly right. which notes. Or too many. Like, that's a question I would have loved to have been asked. <laughs> it detracts from a little bit of the, of what do you call that? As an audience, you're kind of expected to make certain assumptions. And it's like he, t he took all that away from us. Mm -hmm. So he painted himself into corners constantly. Right. And he didn't have a committee type sounding board obviously because I think or let's let's just say this he didn't have a t the type of sounding board that felt honest he probably did in that, the first Star Wars like they could be he probably did them. but then when that became oh, when oh, that absolutely. became 
you know, when people Absolutely. are going to your movie five or six hundred times, you know, and some people, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to, how are you going to tell him anything? Yeah, you're doing something right. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean that, you know, it's like he, he basically got carte blanche after that. And that was probably in some ways a bad thing. There were no checks and balances. He forgot why the first movie worked so well, probably. And thinking, thinking that I, I, buy that. I mean, it could have been, it may not have been as basic as I did all this on my own. So therefore I'm going to continue to do the rest of the movies on my own. It may not have been quite that simple, but he clearly did forget that there were people that were in his corner that were saying, ah, don't go that route. That's not going to work. You know, you need to sort of change that up. That doesn't make sense right. or whatever. And that sort of thing, or, you know, script some, something as simple as somebody who's a script doctor who's able to go through and make the dialogue a little bit more natural i mean the dialogue in the prequels is god awful anyway um yeah no very good points um all right so uh drum roll please for my number one you got boba fett mm -hmm. is it boba or bubba <laughs> i think it's I think it's Bob. It is Boba, right? It's not. Would you think it was Boba? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Forget it. Okay. Boba. Boba Fett. Short for Robert. As I said, I could have put him number two yeah. and Yoda one, but man, no one's gonna fault you for uh, for your one and two. No, no, no one will argue that. He was so awesome. I. There was a moment where, um. You know. I, I, I'm kind of fast forwarding, but when he was killed in in Return of the Jedi, I was like, "Whoa!" Like they just took down a, a giant, you know? Uh, yep. Like he to me was so fascinating, and I think a big part of that, you know, uh, is the fact that um, he his his costume. He had this some sort of cape thing that he had. He had a backpack rocket he had and then what, what how did he activate that was that through the the wrist or did he have something else on his wrist so he had something going on with his wrist too but but the rocket and then he had like an rpg sticking out of the back of the rocket and of course he had the gun and the the cool spaceship that had the little the little down ramp um you know i mean he just had all these cool like Great little features. It's like, like a, a rope or but not a rope. Rope, yeah, that's but, what but, I thought. But, but I mean, what, yeah, I mean it, what, that's such a childish way of saying it. What what's what word am I looking for? It was like a um, a grapple. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And oh, but I mean, just that whole that whole costume was so awesome. But it it, be, it does beg the question: How did he activate the jetpack? I guess he had a little. Was it like the Rocketeer where you had a little, you know, little thumb, you know, a little uh, joystick and you just push the button? Well, no, wait a second. No, okay, remember he, I remember he, he ignites it with his thumb. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. Or is that the Rocketeer? Maybe I got the Rocketeer mixed up. Uh, I, I can't remember, but no, he, um, actually I'm looking to see if there's an answer on, on this about how he. Well, and as you're looking that up, the other thing that was really cool about Boba is 
I think Vader Vader definitely had some respect for this guy. Absolutely. Um, and it, you might even go as far as to say that I think he kind of considered, like, I could see them sitting at a table with their helmets off, drinking a beer, eating some Mexican food or something, you know, like... Almost like a, like, like a peer? Yeah, I, I, there was something about how Vader interacted with them, especially in, um, in Empire... Uh, well, I guess that would have been the only time. He almost treats him as an equal. Yeah, and, and you know, there's that one scene where he's got all the bounty hunters, kind of, you know, standing around him. But he like he, it's like clearly he knows that Boba is the is the alpha there, and uh, he makes a point of saying to um, him, "No disintegrations." Like he he picks out Boba Fett to say that to. Right. You know, like he knows right. that he knows that Boba's not somebody to be. Right with. and and uh, he, so and, and in fact, didn't Vader like stop him from shooting? He st- he stops him from shooting uh, Chewbacca when Chewbacca, yeah. uh, they're putting Han in the carbon freeze. Chewbacca throws That's a stormtrooper right. into the pit, and um, Boba immediately picks up his rifle and is about to shoot Chewbacca. And Darth Vader has to sort of physically stop him. Um. Maybe he was stopping him because he realized, he recognized C-3PO as the droid that he built. <laughs> I think Vader was actually a little bit intimidated. I'll, I'll go so far as to say, because it seems like Vader capitulates to Boba many times. Absolutely, yeah. He says, he has to say, like, um, like Boba actually has the balls to say to Vader, what if he doesn't survive? He's no good to meet dad right. or whatever. It's like, that's a ballsy thing back, to say. Like, Vader, yeah, and Vader would usually... And Vader, and Vader, like, you know that if Vader, if this was a guy that he, Vader didn't care about, Vader would be like, "What, dude, whatever. Right. Like, I, that's not my problem. But Vader actually says to him, we'll compensate you if he doesn't survive. Right, And it's yeah. like, wow. Like, that's... <laughs> now, Vader could have been full of it and just sort of like, like, yeah, I'm just going to say this to him. But I, I, I get the sense that Vader is like, you know, like, I'm going to consult. You know, we're going to discuss this and figure out like how to make how to how how I can make good on this if this doesn't work out. So I don't know. V- like Vader's he's number one. I mean that's why I totally agree that he should be number one. In- I think Vader's picking up that tab. I think he's picking up the tab <laughs> and uh, kind of saying no no you know I know you're you're really you're kind of doing me a solid here so yeah uh, allow me to get this. Oh but anyway that so that's my top five man. Okay. Um, all right so let me go to my top five. There are two overlaps. Boba and Yoda are two that um, I had on my top five. The other three, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, instead of going uh, in order of favorite, I will go in chronological order of their appearance in the film. So uh, the first one is Greedo. Um, Greedo only has one scene, and it's the scene where he... Um, corners Han Solo at the cantina, the Moss Eisley cantina, and uh, basically provides the exposition that Han um, has a price on his head and that every bounty hunter in the galaxy is looking for him, blah, 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 all that stuff that we all know pretty well. But So here's why I like him. Um, I I just think he's cool looking. I, it's, it's about as superficial as it gets. He has, a, I think he has a cool uh language that he speaks i love the sort of processed 
language that he speaks. And I love, I used to try to memorize what he was saying because I thought it was, yeah. I loved his, I loved his voice. I loved the way he spoke. I loved that he had little antenna on his ears that would move when he talked. I thought that was a pretty cool special effect that is actually wasn't, wasn't, uh, tweaked in the special edition. That's actually, uh, how it looked in the original. And, um, I did a little research on Greedo and found out that the character was played by a female. Was it played by both, by both a male and a female at different points? I've never understood this. Or was it voiced? It's definitely voiced. It's definitely voiced by a male. Right. Okay. But, but the feet, but it's a female that's wearing right. the mask and that, cause when you see her step into the booth with Han, you can tell it's a woman. Like if right. you go back and watch it, it's clearly a woman. Now, I can only assume that it's her throughout that whole scene. That's I think you're right there, and I think it's just voiced by a male. I think that's that's yeah, that's what I recall. And you know, we talked a little bit about the controversial what happens in that scene, um, which totally does diminish uh, the character for me a little bit. But um, I've always loved Greedo. We had the Greedo action figure, and he was one of my favorite of the Cantina to play with. Um, Next on my list is Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, I always thought uh, kind of in the same way that Boba Fett was one of the rare characters that could sort of give sass back to Vader. I, Tarkin was too. Tarkin was, you know, had the ability to sort of control Vader to some extent. And not push him around maybe, but definitely was in charge. There was never a doubt in the first Star Wars who was in charge. Vader did seem sort of like a, almost not a puppet, but just sort of like a an attack dog. And that Tarkin was... That's a great, that's a great description, actually. It's almost like and Vader doesn't really sort of feel his oats really until Empire, when he starts, when he's sort of in charge and there is no more Tarkin. And, and is that through attrition? Is that through attrition? I mean, so Tarkin obviously gets blown away. And so is it kind of like, you know, last man standing kind of thing? Or, or, or do you think that Vader was, what put him over the top, you think? Or was it just- I've never understood how the bureaucracy works in the empire because Leia calls Tarkin Governor Tarkin. So he's a governor. But I don't know what he's he's governing. If he's governing certain systems, or if he's governing uh, a territory, he's obviously governing the Death Star. He's definitely the chief administrator there. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what Vader is considered. Like, is Vader just like a consultant kind of like? Because you know, Vader has his own planet that he lives on. Uh, you know, we kind of learn later uh, with other movies. But he doesn't have like a title. He's not. He's not. He's not it's elected. Like he's a, like, he's so like Tarkin a civilian. Elected? He's like a civilian. He doesn't. I think you might be right. He's kind of like. A, he's kind of like a hired gun. You know, he's not really. A, the emperor is the emperor. So he's sort of the. He presides over the entire empire. Yeah, he's the dictator. He's the dictator. Tarkin is under. The emperor. And then is Vader, and Vader is too, to some extent, but it's almost like Vader has the ability to sort of, you know, he's not sort of tied to that same kind of level of bureaucracy that maybe Tarkin is and some of the other 
Well, let me ask you this. What's what is Darth? Because, you know, you had Darth Maul. Uh-huh. You had you have Darth. I mean, was Darth a title? It I think it is now, but you know, you remember when Ben Kenobi calls Remember he calls Vader Darth right before their big lightsaber fight? He says only a master of evil Darth. Right. Like he calls him Darth almost as if it's he's calling him by his first name. Yeah. <laughs> I, to, to answer the initial question, I don't know what Tarkin... I don't know what his responsibilities are. I don't know what he's really in charge of. I, I get the sense that everybody in the Death Star reports to him. But here's the question I have for you. Do you think that Darth Vader was using the Force to sense that the Death Star was going to get blown up, which is why he got the hell out of there? I... No. I never got that feeling. I think that he felt like... He conveniently right, leaves. Guys, follow me. I gotta do everything myself, you know? I gotta um, do this myself. Yeah, I, I think it was more <laughs> that, in my opinion. Very convenient. Maybe so. And where did he go? So he straightens out the, his little... His little uh, TIE fighter. And, you know... I mean, those, where is he going? <laughs> those things don't like the Tie Fighters don't have hyperspace. Like they don't have light speed cap. Like they don't have hyperspace capabilities. No, and I'm assuming that they don't hold a ton of fuel. And so, oh wow, good question. I'm sure he could probably link up with you know some other. Uh, I mean, like a fuel. It didn't wipe out the entire uh, imperial. You know, entire. Uh, Empire. Yeah. But boy, I sure thought they did when I first saw the movie. The very first, you know. Well, I think that's what we were led to believe. Yeah. I, but then, so maybe he maybe he heads over to the Emperor's crib and, and you know, and sleeps on the couch for a couple weeks. And, <laughs> uh, you know. I agree with you ultimately that I don't think he sensed that the Death Star was about to get blown up. I think he definitely, I think I agree with you. I think he sort of said, you know, look. I got to do this on my own, and it really worked out in his favor that he did. Um, my last one is Lando. I think he has one of the best entrances in the trilogy. When he comes off that, comes out that door onto that landing platform with his henchmen, and immediately, you don't know what you're getting with him. Is he about to deck Han? Is he about to throw Han off the platform? You don't know. And, and then he turns on the charm almost immediately, and, Hello, who have we? <laughs> and um, I, I, I love, so they, again, this is going back to, I mean, we've kind of, we're beating a dead horse with this, but I love how you get a sense of their relationship with Han, the, the, the friendship, the relationship more probably than anything. You get it in 20 seconds. You get all that you need to know. You get that they obviously had a major falling out at some point. They were probably friends. They probably were, you know, ran jobs together or whatever and that's all you need to know about it you get you get everything and um later on when lando you find out lando basically betrayed han which i have some questions about the timing of all that but anyway we can get to that in a minute but you when he when you find out he betrays him um you get the sense that he really did it out of loyalty to his his people and it was, you know, yeah, maybe they had a falling out, but that's not why he betrayed him. He did it basically to save his own, save his own business oh, sure. and all that stuff. And um, but that he's always sort of processing. There's no doubt that that Lando had he had some skeletons in the closet himself, and I think 
he knew that I think he had made some bad decisions. Can we talk a little bit about how Darth Vader got to Cloud City before Han, Leia, and Chewbacca and C-3PO did? Did did that ever fully make sense to you? Like I'm trying to remember. So are you saying, did Lando say they got here right before you arrived, right? He said something to that effect. He says they arrived right before you did. Yeah. So that's 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 generic enough, I guess, to where you know Vader's Imperial shuttle could have landed twenty minutes before, and um, well, Vader what, what was the purpose of, of of Leia and Han? I mean, what was the purpose of them going to to Cloud City? What was the genesis of that? The um, they could the hyperdrive was broken. They didn't have. They needed to get. They needed to go somewhere close to get it fixed. Um, so they couldn't make the jump to high. They couldn't make the jump to light speed to get back to the rebel base. They had to get the hyperdrive fixed because it was too far. So they had to get the hyperdrive fixed first. And coincidentally, they were close to Lando. Lando system. Lando's not a system. Lando's a man. They they were close enough to Lando. Lando system where they could just go there to get the hyperdrive fixed and then from there they would have gone back to the rebel base. Yeah, you're right. Unless unless we're missing something, I don't think it was it's not obvious as to why Vader was able to, you know, um kind of um anticipate the move. I I, I can't think of it. I mean, doesn't I'm sure there's a nerd out there that'll that'll email us and um tell us exactly how um but 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 like so like the um the so what what happens is they're attached to Vader's star destroyer and Vader's star destroyer goes off in a totally opposite direction. They jump they they make a jump to high to light speed, going one direction, and then the Millennium Falcon, which was attached, do you say Millennium Falcon or Millennium Falcon? Uh, Millennium I feel like Falcon. I, I switch. I'm a I'm a yeah, Falcon. I feel like a, I'm a falcon, I think. It's weird. Um, so they, and then the, the falcon, I know, the falcon goes the, the opposite direction. And then Boba Fett, of course, follows him. So the only way that Vader could have been able to do a total U-turn and go back to Cloud City to get there before Han is if they knew where they were going. Now, the only way they could have known that is if Boba Fett somehow like was looking on his tracker and say oh they must be going to cloud city vader so what you need to do is get there first and so then vader did basically you know pulled off at the side of the road and then just exited and then did a u-turn and got back on the highway headed back towards cloud city there's no other way and then of course was able to go and of course, you know they didn't. They they did have a hyperspace. So they were able to get there maybe a little quicker. But yeah, I, I don't know. It takes a little bit of a. a I don't bit think of a it's leap there. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's definitely a plot hole uh, again, unless we're missing something. Yeah. I think unless we're missing that, something. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking um, that's, a, that's just something we're not supposed to worry about. Probably not. Um, uh, so anyway, the but I, but I do like how Lando is constantly thinking about how to save Han uh, and really, you know, reveals a much stronger character 
and um, has much better intentions than, than you're led to believe at first. I didn't have a problem with his... I think that, you know, Chewie had a huge problem with it. Um, yeah, but there could have know, been some background there that we don't know about. Maybe, you know. Maybe they had, but, a, maybe they had a falling out. But yeah, Lando, Lando seemed to... He seemed to try to anticipate... It was a chess game for sure because, you know, Lando... You know he's putting he's putting an action plan in place on the heels of this quote unquote bargain he made with uh, you know with Vader. I think in the end, uh, I, I'm sure that um, Han didn't have a huge problem with it. I mean, other than being cryogenically or you know in carbonite for some amount of time, but. Um, but I, I don't think that was avoidable. It just wasn't avoidable. I mean, you know, right? I, I agree. I agree. I think he did everything. I think he did everything the right way. He played it cool. Yeah. He didn't. You know, he didn't show his hand. He sort of, you know, said, "Okay, you know." Uh, he kept agreeing and that kind of thing. And then when he had a chance to make his movie, he did and it worked. The yeah. So there's there's a really interesting little moment in Empire. That. Um, I don't know if you've. I, I'd be really interested to know if, what your take on it is, or if you've noticed it. There's he's he's having a conversation with Vader, and Vader says something to the effect of, "Perhaps you think you're being treated unfairly," and um, Lando says, "No." And then there's a really quick second, split second, where he puts his hand to his neck and just kind of like rubs it, like he just kind of does this number where he's kind of like, like he's almost got like a scratch or an itch there. And then, he, right. and then he puts his hand down. And so I've okay. always wondered, I've always wondered, did Darth Vader sort of give him just a little bit of a choke <laughs> in that moment? Seriously. Like just, just enough uh, to, just, yeah. just enough to I, sort of like block the airways for a split second, not to like out and out choke him, but just to sort of say, remember who you're dealing with. Or maybe, maybe he kind of did that off screen a little you know, prior to, and Lando was kind of rubbing, you know, kind of like, I don't remembering it, have that happen. I don't want to have that happen again. Yeah. That you too. Know. That, that could be it too. I've always, I've always thought that was a nice little subtlety that, um, yeah, they don't explain, but it's just a kind of a yeah. little cool little character subtlety, which is why I think Empire is so great. But anyway, yeah, I mean, no, there's no doubt that, that Lando was, I mean, he was definitely uh, saving his own neck, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Um, and he's great in Return of the Jedi. I think, you know, of course, he's the one that ultimately destroys the second Death Star. So, um, well, him and another character that we'll talk about maybe towards the end if we have a chance. <laughs> maybe the true unsung hero of the trilogy. We'll, yeah. we'll see. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's go ahead and carry over the bottom five so we went through the top five characters and let's save our bottom five for next week we'll we'll go ahead and stop there because we're running pretty low on time and we'll do bottom five next week so thank you to everybody for listening nick thank you for joining us and thank you for your willingness and your ability to come back next week next sunday and we'll we'll continue this star wars discussion so if you haven't already, go follow us on uh, Pop University P1. 
at Twitter. That's our Twitter handle. You can also follow us on Facebook, Pop University with Josh and Drew, Pop U with Josh and Drew. Uh, we're on every platform out there, whether it's Anchor, we're also on SoundCloud, we're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all the podcatchers have us. So please uh, subscribe, leave us a review, leave us a rating, and come back next week. So until then, class dismissed. It's so bright, it's so bright.